Marini's Media. Toby Football Show, European edition. Among today's hot stories, Erling Haaland, Erling Dawes, with an incredible debut for Borussia Dortmund. Elsewhere, when teammates plot murder, Alan Pardew, Ghostbuster, and Golazio as the Bianca Celeste win their 11th straight. All that and more in this Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, everybody. With all the hot notices, the Grand Nouvelles, the Grossenaikaitum from the continent, it is. What about in Italian? No, no. Well, that's kind of in there with the Spanish. Notizie, noticias. They're all about the same. Mm. Yeah. Hello, Julian Laurent. Bonjour, James. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello. Hello, Alvaro Romeo. Hello, hello. And Raphael Honigstein, hello to you. Hello to you, too. Wow. You've got a lot to tell us about today, haven't you, Raph? Absolutely. Bumper Bundesliga, Bundesliga edition. Is back, baby. Let's do our quick round of headlines, just so we know what's in store. Alvaro, top Spanish stories? Yeah, and it's got to be all about Kike Setien's Barcelona, uh, because they managed to get a victory in the first game uh, of this uh, manager in charge. And then Real Madrid is still topping the table, all together with Barcelona, in what it seems to be a two-horse race, after Atletico yeah. de Madrid lost at Eibar. They lost at Eibar, didn't they? Uh, James Horncastle. Lazio keep winning, James. La Repubblica this morning, describing them like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, coming out of the jungle, but you can just see the kind of ripples in your kind of you know, sort of glass of water on your right. dashboard. Is Conte the man sat on the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they win their game in hand, Lazio, they will leapfrog into, Ooh. I suppose. Um, Immobile has scored more than seven other Serie A teams. Right. Also, total collapse in Naples. Collapse in Naples right. um, with uh, Napoli this time not mutinying uh, when being told that they're going into detention because right. they are have been sent into Retiro again. Yeah, but then they left the next day. But we'll hear about all of that yeah. down the road because Napoli are facing Lazio on Tuesday. Julien, French news, please. Only two words. Ryan Shirky, 16-year-old. Okay, you said only two words. I know, but then I felt like I had to uh, insist. Explain. No, you do, because this is an extraordinary story. Yeah. Well, you think Haaland's an amazing, amazingly precocious footballer. Tell us, well, you will be telling us all about Ryan Shirky. Nice. And Bundesliga, Raf. Heir to the throne, James. Oh, nice. Yeah. Erling Haaland coming on. Erling warning. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Rome. 56 Great. minutes gone, Dortmund 3 yeah. 1 down. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm doing a pod here. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> That's rich. That's rich. That is bold. Anyway, anyway, all right. So okay. you'll be telling us all about the incredible Erling Haaland, who made yet another of his incredible debuts and, and loads more besides, I'll warrant. Yes. Good. Okay. Well I tell you what, not long to wait for all of that goodness, because right after this, Rafa goes Bundesliga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yep, a sensational return for the Bundesliga, Rafa, from their recent jaunt to Spain. Loads of big teams winning, but the biggest victory of all arguably belong to Dortmund? Well, certainly the biggest impact, I think, uh, as far as Erling Haaland's substitution is concerned. Uh, before the game, Michel Talk had warned about expectations not uh, being too high, that the player needed to be eased in, uh, that he'd need some time to adapt, and so on and so on. But of course, within 23 minutes of coming on, he had helped turn a 3-1 deficit into a 5-3 victory. Sancho also with an assist and a goal, uh, in among the, that hat-trick. And it's not just a win. It's also, I think, the difference between full-blown crisis mode at, at Dortmund, with everyone saying, how can you defend like this? You're out of the title race. Favre needs to go to this wonderful, we have Haaland, he might get us the title uh, dynamic. So it couldn't have been bigger both in terms of sentiment and momentum, as well as the result. Right. He's a guy who probably not many people had had any awareness of before this season, but had 
been the revelation of the Champions League group stages uh, where he scored with his first three shots on target for uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Gets bought by Dortmund. What a sensational start. But you call it a hat trick. Not all Germans would agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's this strange obsession with hat tricks having to be pure and proper. And a pure and proper hat trick is something that needs to be done in one half and without interruption. So strictly speaking, uh, for some uh, very um, officious German observers, this is not a proper hat-trick. Wow. Do they do like right foot, left foot header as well to be no, perfect? No, no, no they don't. The, without the interruption thing, what does it mean? And no one else can score while you are scoring oh, your three right. goals. Whereas, yeah. and as in this case, Jaden Sancho, Sancho with a brilliant uh-huh. ball over the top, superbly controlled. In fact, the other goals in this game were pretty special as well. Sancho's, who has become the first player across Europe's top five leagues to reach double figures for goals and assists this season... But uh, also Marco Richter, his goal for Augsburg. This goal is amazing. Richter yeah. scale. Yeah, off the Richter scale. Yeah, off yeah. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant it's a wonderful goal. goal. Mm. I mean, Augsburg were pretty good. Dortmund were pretty atrocious at the back. But of course, we know that they can score goals. And now, with Haaland there, I think they'll be much more effective. They had so many chances in the first half, which Royce missed most of them. And it makes all the difference if you suddenly have this guy making the right runs, being in the box... Um, being able to take the finishes as well as he did. I mean, of course, the second one was a tap-in, but the other two were absolutely brilliant. One from a tight angle with his right foot, one from a uh, slightly more uh, central angle with his left foot. And the guy just just comes on and just kind of shrugs off opponents and scores. So, unbelievable. First Dortmund player to score a hat-trick on his debut since? Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Which, curiously enough, was also against Augsburg. Yeah, at home in 2013. Five hat-tricks for the season. For Haaland. For Haaland. Mm. And that's not including the nine that he scored in the summer for Norway in that 12-0 win against Honduras at the Under-20 World Cup. Since, incredible. Since 2000, only six players have scored a hat-trick on their debut in the top five leagues. Aubameyang and, and Haaland being two of them. Andre Silva for Sevilla as well in 2018 and Pauleta for Bordeaux in 2001 I think. Okay. And two other players that I've forgotten but is that right? And no one has done it off the bench so the impact off the bench as well for someone in the debut in the big league like that is pretty incredible. It is. It is. Uh, Has Germany got Haaland fever now? Um, uh, Dortmund has. Dortmund certainly has. I think it's going to be really hard to keep him on the wraps now. I think the original plan was not to have him speak in the mix zone but that completely... Uh, went out of the window uh, when he was walking around with the match ball in his hand, being, of course, very happy, but also quite chilled. I mean, this is the sort of guy who just doesn't really lose his cool, was just talking matter-of-factly of, you know, turning up, scoring goals, being happy to be there. And um, when they asked him, maybe it's enough for you to get a starting place, maybe you are fit enough for the next game against Cologne, he just turned around to the interview and goes, how did it look like to you? That's <laughs> <was> pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, as I mentioned, plenty of big teams winning uh, this weekend. For example, uh, Bundesliga champions Bayern Munich, who took on their former manager Jürgen Klinsmann. How did that go for Jürgen? Uh, not so well. Um, the preparations were slightly disrupted by the fact that he didn't have a, a valid license. You know, in Germany, you need to, um, well, most most countries actually, you need to have a proper license. His had expired, as it turned out, because you need to renew your, your papers, you need to go to courses and stuff. And he'd also forgotten the physical document back in California. Uh, but he managed to rustle up just enough documents uh, to satisfy the very strict requirements of the German FA. Uh, in a way, so strict. I know. With in a way, yeah, with licenses, it's it's almost as I, I, if they're very, very bureaucratic and stuff. I didn't know that ba- that you, your badges expired. I didn't know that. Thought yeah. it was, you know, once you had them, you had them. No, no. like a bicycle. To, yeah, you know? no, you need to keep improving and keep keep learning. Wow. You never you never stop learning, James. In this in this business, boy, tell me but, about it. But um, in a way, perhaps you shouldn't have bothered because <laughs> Hertha turned up, tried to play an ultra-defensive, right. passive style. Did enough to frustrate Bayern in the first half, but as soon as Thomas Müller, in sort of very typical Müller fashion, scuffs a shot in through the legs of the keeper uh, on the half-volley, Hertha just collapsed, and Bayern ran out easy 4-0 winners. And once again, it was a little bit easy, but perhaps also understandable that a lot of people sort of poking fun about this big vision that Hertha have about becoming this this powerhouse in German and international football uh, Jürgen Klinsmann was talking about winning uh, the league uh, within half a decade or so, and mm. it didn't look like it okay. um, on Sunday night. Who's going to 
win the league this time around. RB Leipzig are looking pretty good. They were a goal down against Union Berlin, but uh, helped by a second-half brace from Timo Werner, who's now got nine goals in his last seven. Uh, they went on to claim the victory and stay four points clear of Bayern at the top of the Bundesliga. They have also become, Rafa, as you probably know, the first team in Bundesliga history to score at least three goals in nine consecutive matches. That's extraordinary. 34 goals in their last nine league games. I'd sure hate to be the team facing them in the Champions League in the next... Oh, Spurs, mm. hello. I mean, they're playing really, really well, but they're also scoring incredible goals. Uh, if you if you see Timo Werner's first goal, it's just an unbelievable finish. And in the words of Julian Nagelsmann, the coach, you know, he tries that three or four times. It probably goes out the out the stadium and keeps on flying. But the the form and confidence he's in at the moment, he just hits it and 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 scores a beautiful goal. And he's overtaking Lewandowski in the goal scoring ranks now with twenty goals. The guy is just on another level and of course it helps when you have a coach who believes in a, in a very attacking style but also helps players like him by having a lot of people around him. I mean, uh, Leipzig, when they switched formation again in the second half, they played basically a 4-2-2-2 so they almost have like four strikers uh, on the pitch who all play quite narrow next to each other and, and Werner really benefits from that. So, yeah, it was hard not to be really impressed with them and the way they came back from that uh, relatively poor start in the first half. They'll take some stopping this year, Leipzig. Four points clear of Bayern. Five points clear from Borussia Mönchengladbach, who lost to Schalke. And then you've got Dortmund and Schalke, seven points off the lead. There's some solidarity, James, from uh, Hertha Berlin fans with the Genoa brethren. Oh, yeah. There's banners, I think, at the, uh, the Olympian Stadion. Which was said, uh, non molare ultras Genoa, preziosi, vatene. Right. So don't give up, Genoa ultras. Preziosi, preziosi do one. Do one. Do one. Yeah. What's That's, the background of this? So uh, the Genoa uh, fans at this moment in time, well, not in this moment in time, but for many, many years now, have been protesting against the, the president. They want him out. They think he, uh, you know, as we often see, and it's quite curious that they actually haven't sold anyone so far this January, but they usually sell their star player at this time of year. So probably because they don't Piontek, really <laughs> Suzo, yeah, they don't really have anyone at the moment. Um, the Union Berlin's fans and general fans. Are they like sometimes ultras are linked in different countries? Is that, is yeah. that where it comes from? I yeah, I imagine it is. Yeah, yeah. But I think that this has become it's not like the Wenger out uh, banner. Um, you don't see Preziosi Vartine NBA games. But it's it could it could happen. It's catching fire. By the way, if you, you know. if you're curious about the unique figure of Enrico Preziosi and, and what happened last time he tried to bring Genoa out of the well, in fact the time before yeah. he tried to bring Genoa out of City of B and what quarter of a million euros in a briefcase had to do with it all, <laughs> uh, then you might like to listen to the Golazzo that we made all about yeah. that, which features a very calm and measured performance from Gabriele Marcotti. Yeah, yeah. As always. As, As always. Per. That's a Golazzo deep cut, that is. Ben McLennan says, uh, who on the Spurs team will survive RB Leipzig and what will be left of them? That's quite dramatic. Yeah, I don't think that Leipzig will destroy them, but I think they have a very good chance of, of beating them, especially if, if Spurs continue in their quite passive, defensive way. Leipzig have been learning how to, to play against these sides. That's one of the big improvements mm. under Julian Nagelsmann. Their possession game has really has really come on. And, and Spurs need to really attack because Leipzig still have one or two issues defensively. But if you leave them the ball, they will score. All right. And also, it's not like Spurs have a history of collapsing at home to German sides in the Champions League that I can think of. Recent history. Yeah. Uh, amongst other German-related news stories, this is very regrettable, uh, St. Pauli getting uh, included in UK counter-terrorism instructions to medical staff and teachers. Did you see this? I did see this. I did, still find it very hard this? to believe. Yeah. I don't think the club have seen it. Or I haven't seen any comments by the club, but it is bizarre. Right. Their banner or their, their badge should be considered radical to the point of being under so terrorist it, suspicion. It's in there with Greenpeace and PETA, the anti-conifer, yeah. yeah. etc. And, and Extinction Rebellion. Rebellion. The wording on the document suggests that they've included a lot of different kinds of logos and symbols so that people know what they all mean. It doesn't say that they're all. And in fact, there's a bit of writing that says, by the way, these are not all extremist 
uh, symbols. But it, it just, uh, yeah, it, it's a curious one. Brand association. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, knowing some Pauli, they were probably on some level welcome this and think this is some kind of badge of honour to be included in that list. Indeed. All right. Well, a busy weekend in the Bundesliga. Good to have it back, Rafa. Up next, let's talk some Spain. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Ahí está Sergio, Sergio para Leo, Leo para Griezmann, para Arturo Vidal, Titejón para Leo, 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 gol, Leo, gol, Leo, gol, Leo, gol, Leo, 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 tenía que llegar y llegó. Yep, that's the sound of the cows missing Kike Setien this weekend because he wasn't there to walk amongst them. Instead, he was off at the Camp Nou, uh, which oh, rhymes with cow. Yeah, <laughs> which rhymes with cow. And, uh, and uh, watching his Barcelona side, Alvaro, get off the mark uh, with a, what was it, slightly laboured 1-0 or was it a tremendously Barcelona-esque passing display against Granada? It was a dominative display of Barcelona but uh, they were lacking the edge. Uh, and normally the Kike Setien clubs are associated to that. Uh, Kike Setien is a person who normally, it's been even mocked in Spain because he he talks about Cruyff all the time, he talks about possession all the time, and managers like Simeone or Getafe manager Bordalas, they don't like that approach, and they don't like when uh, Kike Setien wants to lecture them. And this was uh, what you would expect from the Kike Setien caricature game. Uh, it was Barcelona winning 1-0, but it was for them very difficult to find the chances. But uh, he tried to implement some tactical changes, even though he only trained uh, with the team a couple of days last week. To start with, uh, he implemented again the double sessions, so training in the morning and in the afternoon as well. That is something that Valverde wasn't doing. Probably this is because Kike Setien needed to have quality time with the players. And Barcelona played in attack with a 3-5-2 formation, which is something unusual with Sergi Roberto playing as a centre-back when Barcelona have the ball. Ansu Fati and Antoine Griezmann uh, playing, uh, especially Ansu Fati, playing quite wide on the right, uh, Jordi Alba wide on the left, and Griezmann and Messi moving up front, uh, linking up. So it was a new formation. Barcelona uh, tried to press uh, higher and uh, stronger when uh, Granada had the ball, and it worked uh, more or less all right uh, in uh, Kike Setien terms. Uh, Barcelona had the highest possession of the ball since uh, 2011. Uh, How much? 82.6% possession. It's Yeah, I know. I know. It's absolutely crazy. And, but they still, uh, they only managed to score one goal and mm-hmm. it was a goal of Messi, which by the way, it was very nice because it was like a pass to the to the goal net uh, with the right foot. Some other player would smash the ball into the net and Lionel Messi did it in a very subtle way. A lovely assist from Vidal as well. Absolutely, yeah. And Arturo Vidal was one of those players that you would think that... Uh, a person like Kike Setien would deploy uh, and probably put on the bench and not even think about him. But the truth is that he was crucial in that goal and he played a good game. And then another player that we talk about in the past, uh, Ricky Puig. Mm, uh, Ricky Puig. Yeah, the guy, from, the guy from the academy, the guy that everyone was expecting to play this season. Um, he's been expected more than a Messi uh, in Barcelona, especially since the departure of Xavi and Iniesta. He seems to be this type of player. And he was crucial as well in Barcelona's goal because he was the one stealing the ball, first of all, and then uh, doing the pre-assist to the assist of Arturo Vidal. So it was an, an all-right evening for Barcelona. They are still top of the table and they won in an unconvincing display, even mm. though Kike Setien uh, gave himself like an eight uh, out of 10 mark after the game, yeah. Oh, that's nice. OK, well, they stay level with Real Madrid ahead on goal difference, though. Real Madrid seeing off uh, their former manager, Julen Lopetegui, in a 2-1 victory. A brace from Casemiro. I didn't realise he used to be a striker, Casemiro. At the beginning, yeah. yeah. Uh, ne- never for Real Madrid. Mm. Uh, not even in 
Real Madrid Academy, Real Madrid Castilla. But when he played in Brazil, he was uh, playing, I don't know if up front as a number nine, but definitely close to the, the opponent's box. And De Jong scored the goal in the first half. Luke De Jong. Luke De Jong, yeah. Mm. Um, who, by the way, played for Newcastle. And yeah. I believe that he, he was a tremendous disappointment in there. But then he came back to, to PSV. And last season he scored 32 goals for them. So Sevilla signed this player who is turning 29 or 30 this year. And uh, he was the first one scoring a goal against Real Madrid in the first half at Santiago Bernabeu. And after the VAR check, the goal was the disallowed because there was uh, a block in the corner kick by Gudelg to Eder Militao. Eder Militao, Real Madrid center back, was marking Luke de Jong, who had the ball totally unmarked. The referee uh, called off the goal and um, Monchi, the Real Madrid sporting director, uh, said after the game that if uh, Luke de, de Jong's mm. second goal in the game, the only one that stood, uh, had been disallowed for a handball on Munir, which by the way was a handball, he would have gone down to the pitch and told his uh, players to leave. Right. Yeah, Monchi, the sporting in director, protest. said that. Right, okay. Yeah, which is... Uh, a very populist rant, probably, uh, and not terribly exaggerated as well, because I think that the Luke de Jong uh, first goal disallowed uh, was probably very interpretative, but still, according to the rules, it was well disallowed, and the, the second goal of de Jong uh, shouldn't have uh, counted because there was a hand of Munir in the build-up to the goal. All that said, Real Madrid won, again, with no Eden Hazard, with right. no Karim Benzema, mm -hmm. no Sergio Ramos, and Zinedine Zidane's plan is working very well. I mean, they haven't lost a game since losing against Mallorca. Not only that, but as Sam, hello Sam, points out, they've conceded, Real Madrid, the least amount of goals, or the fewest goals, in Europe's top five leagues. Sam says, I find that really surprising for some reason. Should I? Oh, Sam, and how have they managed that? It's a number of things, obviously, but... Uh, the centre-backs are playing really well. Mm. Then I believe that uh, after losing against Mallorca, Zinedine Zidane went back to some basics and Real Madrid uh, got uh, the solidity back. And uh, they don't attack uh, in, a, in any sort of a crazy manner. Normally okay. they, they've got a very, very well-structured attack. Brilliant, OK. Courtois as well. Oh, yeah. Courtois had the best season for sure one of the best in his career and certainly yeah, yeah. the best one since coming back. You're absolutely right and before um, in autumn time um, there was this comment among Real Madrid fans that Thibaut Courtois was an alright goalkeeper but he hadn't been miraculous for Real Madrid like Iker Casillas was at the time when he was at his prime like Keylor Navas had been sometimes. Thibaut Courtois didn't seem to, to do any, any more than the correct thing but he wasn't capable of producing something spectacular. Well, ever since late November, I would say, he's been phenomenal. Probably the best goalkeeper in the league. OK, so that's Real Madrid's defensive successes. Why is it that the other Madrid side, who were famed for their defensive rigor, have all of a sudden started to wobble all over the place, losing, what was it, 2-1, 2-0 two against Eibar? 2-0 two two against Eibar, yeah. It's not easy to play there at Ipurua. Uh, weather conditions are very British in there, in the north of Spain. Uh, it was windy, it was uh, damp and miserable. And Atletico de Madrid didn't uh, show the intensity that is supposed to be their trademark uh, mm. quality. And in fact, uh, it's been a couple of players during the season that they have uh, flagged that they are not being intense enough, one of them being Saul a couple of months ago. I tell you what, I think that if you tell Atletico de Madrid something like this, what is easier for you? Beating Liverpool in the Champions League in two legs or beating Eibar 3-0 at home? They wouldn't know what to answer because they've got a tremendous problem to score goals and yet they are very competitive when it comes to a small scoreline games. So, for example, the Tiger against Liverpool, even though I believe that Liverpool is overwhelmingly favourite, mm -hmm. I'm sure that Atletico will have at least the right plan to stop Liverpool. Okay. But they don't have the right plan to produce heavy wins. And uh, it's worth mentioning that Joao Felix is always the player who comes off uh, the pitch. And I think that the Portuguese youngster is not playing with the naturality he should. He's getting hooked a lot, is he? By uh... A lot. Uh, Simeone is always changing the guy. I mean, uh, after the hour mark, normally you look at Joao Felix because you know that the player is not going to play much more. Right. And uh, against Eibar, he played only 83 minutes. It was all right. But if you pay 120 million euros for a player, he's expected to be on the pitch all the time because he's your differential player. Right. And he's not making the difference, in all fairness, but at the same time, he's not getting the right confidence from the manager. I see. Uh, currently, Atletico Madrid lying third, eight points behind the leading pair and only two points off uh, fifth place and uh, you know missing out on the Champions League. In other news, 
Former Spain international Rob Bravo may have been arrested for the attempted murder of Real Sociedad legend Darko Kovacevic. What? Sorry? This is, what on earth is going on here, Alvaro? This is so weird. I know. Uh, well, let's uh, start from the beginning. It's a Serbian journal. Yep. Um, Telegraph. They, exactly. The one so Darko Kovacevic, who was briefly, of course, we all recall, at Sheffield Wednesday back in 1996, but also featured a lot for Real Sociedad. And Juventus, mm. and Lazio a bit. He almost won a league with Real Sociedad. Okay. Th- that was his, uh, his importance right. for that team. He was great. He was in the World Cup for Serbia and Montenegro as well. Mm. And uh, he also played for Olympiacos, where he was teammates with Raul Bravo, Real Madrid legend, Spain Euro 2004. Leeds legend as well, Leeds. with Rocky <laughs> Jr. Real Ma- there you go. Real Madrid yeah. legend, perhaps, is too generous. Yeah. Real Madrid Real former Madrid player. Former player. Oh, okay, right. Anyway, so they're there at Olympiacos. But anyway, Darko Kovacevic, on the 7th of January of this year, coming out of his house when a man in a hat gets out of a car and opens fire on him. And he falls to the ground... And the man runs off. Or it might have been two men. Reports are confused. And uh, police later find a, a car and a pistol about 700 metres from uh, Kovacevic's house. And then the next thing is that Raul Bravo gets arrested. Is this right? Yeah, and uh, he's been previously arrested uh, on suspicion of corruption and match-fixing in Spain. This is not proven yet, but uh, the, the Spanish police called this Operation Operation Oikos. Oikos is a, is a yogurt brand. Ah, and nice. it's, a, it's a Greek word because Raul Bravo played in Greece. Right. And, yeah, mm, so you think that the name of the operation suggests that they... Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, A little bit of a key name. Yes, yeah. but uh, Raul Bravo has been in the middle of plenty of controversies in Spain. For uh-huh. example, mm, there has been allegations and uh, he was even arrested preventively because uh, he was in the middle of a match-fixing scandal right. in La Liga and corruption. And that happened in last uh, May. 2019. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to this case, uh, Raul Bravo gave an interview to Marca newspaper, denying obviously that he has anything to do with the Darko Kovacevic uh, murder attempt. He also said that uh, they are very good mates, still Darko Kovacevic and him, and that it's just the Serbian press who is making this up. Uh, if you are so sure that you are innocent, mm-hmm. normally you, you sue this newspaper, mm. right? And he said that he won't do that. I don't know if he doesn't do that because he doesn't want to, you know, to steer a little bit that melting pot and right. uh, being found guilty of something. But yes, he, he's been a very dodgy character since he left football, Raul Bravo. Well, an extraordinary story. Will Raul Bravo clear his name? And let's hope Darko Kovacevic is going to be okay. Uh, more on that when we know more. Something lighter to finish off with, perhaps, Alvaro? Yeah, something... Something... Awful, really, because oh. uh, after the <laughs> then Eibar Atlético de Madrid uh, game, ah. um, some Atlético fans um, were spotted doing the Nazi uh, salute, Nazi gesture uh, to the cameras um, on their way back from Ipurúa, Eibar Stadium. So, yes, this is not the first time that Atlético de Madrid supporters do something like that. In fact... In 2014, uh, I remember that there was a massive, massive fight uh, between Atlético de Madrid Ultras and Deportivo de la Coruña Ultras in Madrid, next to the Manzanares, the river. And a Deportivo de la Coruña Ultra passed away. He fell in the river. river, Yeah, Yeah, you remember all that, right? Mm. Well, some say that uh, this could be like a turning point for Atlético de Madrid to stop this ultra culture and stop the ultras from attending the games and all that. Nothing has been made since then. And uh, this is not the first time that Atlético de Madrid do something like this. And I don't know if this is very interesting, but uh, the far right in the Spanish parliament is the third force now. In 2014, they didn't have any representation. So if you have a far right as well in the parliament giving some awful messages that affect society, education, even economy and how to treat immigrants and all that, I'm not saying that uh, the Atletico de Madrid ultras are just uh, derivative from them. Mm. It's clearly there. It the far right is creating like a yeah. positive melting pot in which these messages are absolutely acceptable. Sadly, I think I know what you're talking about there. Alvaro, thank you very much. After this, let's head off to Syria. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Perché Ciro Immobile può segnare la tripletta e portarsi il pallone a casa. Porta alla nostra destra, sotto la sud, parte Immobile, il tiro rete! E siamo 5 a 0. Tripletta di Ciro Immobile, 23 gol segnati in campionato, davvero. Italy! Ooh, loads to discuss here, James. Juve four points clear. Mm-hmm. Ranieri having his players over for dinner, but not like that. <laughs> Uh, oh, Napoli collapsing. But in the week leading up to the Rome derby, we have to start with Lazio. Yeah, we do indeed, because they were 3-0 up after 20 minutes uh, against Samp. A Samp side that had stabilised under Claudio Ranieri. We talked about that last week. They were bottom when he took over. They were five points clear of the relegation zone going into the winter break. And one of the reasons for that was because they'd kept, I think, only Real Madrid and another team in Europe's top five leagues had kept more clean sheets than really? Samp. Really? And all of a sudden, this Lazio side... Was that because they were on a winter break? or? or... <laughs> but they ripped through them. And uh, Immobile got his first hat-trick of the season. Um, he's now on 23 goals in 19 games. Um, it's the, the best record that any Serie A striker's had since Angelillo back in the late 60s. Um, looks on course to break uh, Higuain's. Um, single season record which he set in his final season at, at Napoli and there is just this genuine feeling that they are at the moment the team that maybe doesn't have an, as much talent as Juventus as Inter but they are playing the best football they are making uh, games look easier um, than Juventus and Inter are um, at the moment um, and should be taken seriously it's a big week for them um, with Napoli in the cup and then uh, Roma um, and that, I think yeah you could make this case for Lazio that they in some respects deserve to have more points than they already do um, A because they've got this game in hand which is against a good Verona side but also B because they hit the woodwork four times in the last derby against Roma they deserve to win that one um, and yeah I mean for Immobile to have scored more goals than seven other teams in Serie A um, on his own on his it's own it's extraordinary isn't it because he's pretty remarkable he's um He's a challenging player in some ways, challenging mm. on the eye. He doesn't have the natural grace of some of the other strikers who light up the uh, scoring races around Europe. He's a dogged footballer. Yeah, and the other thing that was pointed out at the weekend is that he scores a lot of penalties. Nine right. of his goals this season have Two come... Two of this hat-trick were... were yeah, the they've come from the spot. Um, he's had one saved from Chesney, but right. he's also been a great kind of teammate in that he's given some of his other... Um, Lazio mates mm. um, a go as well Luis Alberto had one and scored it Joaquin Correa had one missed it and uh, Caicedo had one I think he either scored or saw it safe so he could have had more opportunities from the spot he could even be f- even further ahead of mm. Lukaku and Cristiano Ronaldo um, at the top of the scoring charts incredible what about Lazio then James they're two points behind Inter in second and six behind Juve but they have a game in hand could they do it I think they have to be taken seriously. They're not in Europe. They can focus on this. Um, I think in contrast to other years, um, Luis Alberto and uh, Sagan Miklovic-Savic are kind of content with where they are at the moment. Um, They haven't had their uh, heads turned by moves or Mm. um, failed moves elsewhere. And also, they've got a depth which I think they haven't had in the past. Last year felt like a bit of a transition year, moving on from De Vrij, who went to Inter, and also Felipe Anderson, who went to West Ham. Anderson wasn't a big part of that team, but he was the 12th man. He would come off the bench and change games. Now they've got uh, Lazzari on that side, who's one of the quickest players in Serie A. Um, And they've got that right mix, I think, between youth and experience. And when you've got someone like um, Caicedo, who's quite happy to be the guy who comes on off the bench, um, knows his role and he's contributing, scored five goals so far this season, some late winners as well. You've got Johnny, who they signed in uh, the summer, who's whipping in crosses, coming on uh, and making a decisive impact. They're all making their contribution to this team being very formidable. And I think the other thing, we've talked about how many goals they're scoring, goals, 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 goals. They've got the second best defence in the league as well. Mm. They're backing it up at both ends. I mean, it's going to be fascinating, the Rome derby, because no one would like to end this streak more uh, than the the Gialarossi. And it'll be interesting to see again how far they've come um, since the derby um, early on in the season, because they certainly have come on leaps and bounds. They were very good again at the weekend. But this Lazio side was too much for them, and they were lucky to get a point against them 
uh, last time what, out in yeah. September. Uh, what about Claudio Ranieri's reaction to that 5-1 <laughs> drubbing? Entirely justified. He said he was going to put a bit of oil on his players, sprinkle them with some salt, some pepper, and then eat them alive. Um, right. So, I have to say, can we... I can't see Claudio Ranieri carrying that comment off. Oh, he I mean? did it very well. Did he? Yeah, it was very... Okay, put some opera music on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Open see a nice Chianti, some mm. fava beans. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, just I mean, it'd be different some... if he had Kevin Lasagna in his side. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> Your Gamberini or Gamberini. You know, something like that. But Talia La Tela. They just keep coming. Tuesday in the cup, though, mm. it is Napoli. Napoli were in all sorts of trouble, but then thankfully got rid of their manager, Carlo Ancelotti. So results Nap- have really picked up, James. <laughs> really picked <laughs> up. Four defeats in five for Gennaro Gattuso. <laughs> so c- can you explain? So this weekend. They lose to Fiorentina, mm. who move above them in the table. Napoli now in the bottom half of the Classifica. Their players then elected to go into Ritiro, but then the next day changed their mind. What happened exactly? Changed their mind and just, just went home. Just um, went home. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. It'd be really funny if the manager mutinied this time. Right. <laughs> um, because ultimately, uh, we were referencing what happened after the uh, Salzburg game, um, when... Uh, the players were due to go into this retiro and decide that they weren't going to do it. They were going to contravene the orders of the of the club. Carlo Ancelotti said he was going to stand by it. And that was really the kind of breakdown uh, which precipitated the end of, of Carlo at Napoli. Unfortunately for Rino Gattuso, they've actually played well in some of their recent losses. Um, you think of that defeat late to Lazio. Uh, only happened in the final 10 minutes. And it's uh, Ospina, Howler with Giovanni Di Lorenzo then whacking it into his own net rather than clearing it. You think of the the goals they gifted into um, as well. I think it's a team that is very low on confidence and I think it's a team that is aware that it's at the end of a cycle, is aware that the end of the season can't come soon enough because I think some of those players feel that it's time to move on. And I feel quite some sympathy for Catuzzo in these circumstances because you inherit what is on paper a very talented side which has achieved a lot over the last five or six years but whether you can get that talent to apply itself at this moment in time um, when I think so many players look at the action that the club took after the mutiny Mm. well A imposing that retiro on them anyway which they disagreed with and B then the fines that came well things beginning to unravel Uh, certainly in results terms Dash asking where is the Nadir for Napoli (laughs) they're basically still in free fall with no real end in sight how long will Gattuso last in the current climate how bad can it get well look they've backed him in the transfer market they've signed two players we mm. mentioned Diego Deme who made his debut uh, coming on for Allen um, at the, uh, the weekend we still haven't really seen Stanislav Slobotka it's a team that structurally has got problems because they don't have any filter in front of the defence and you know if you watch the game made that role yeah, so he did. He immediately got booked. Um, and, you know, you were right in terms of the profile that you gave of him so as being a terrier-like... Uh... He can play the DM, can he? <laughs> Very good. Like, nominative determinism. Yeah. But their home form, James, has been terrible. They've lost five of their first ten games at the San Paolo so far this season. Uh, the last time they did that was in 97-98 when they went down, um, as, as you well remember. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think there's too much talent. Um, but they're certainly missing Koulibaly even though he hasn't had the best season he got that injury early on against uh, Palmer um, has been out for three weeks now Mertens as well um, has been injured so things and Insigne just looks a shadow of the player mm. um, that uh, that he has been Has Carlo Ancelotti broken this team? <laughs> Put your agenda away, Rafa. Uh, good to see Fiorentina at least getting a third straight win in that uh, in that game at the San Paolo. Mm. Federico Chiesa on fire, scoring one, setting up. Uh, he set up Vlavic, didn't he, for the the second? I think he without him that goal doesn't get scored. Okay. He, it wasn't the brilliant assist, goal. but yeah, brilliant goal from Vlavic who scored the late equaliser against Inter. A really exciting teenager who lit up the kind of under 19s last year um, and has been fast tracked into the team. But yeah, Chiesa. Good finish for his first goal um, and also kind of falls over under a challenge before this one then switches the play out and, and Vlajevic gets it and 
does the the Vlajevic special, which nice. is. But they, we should say good week for Fiorentina. They also knocked out Atalanta in the cup, which right. um, given Atalanta were the finalists and how well they've done in the Champions League, as I keep reminding everyone, um, very good result for for them. If only you had lunch riding on that result. <laughs> Fiorentina will be facing Inter again in the next round of the cup. That's next week uh, when Milan will be taking on Torino. This yeah. week, aside from Lazio, Napoli, you've also got Roma, Juve. Yeah. Oof. Uh, just to clear up at the top, mention the fact that Juve are uh, in the lead and they've got their biggest lead of the season now. In fact, they yeah. are a whopping four points clear of Inter, who got held 1-1 at Lecce. Lecce had previously held Juventus as well. Yeah, but uh, same player, Mancozo yeah. as well, um, scoring. He got the equaliser um, in this game. Unhappy return. Um, for Antonio Conte to right. uh, Lecce um, uh, was four draws now in six for the Nerazzurri. Yeah, there is this. Get Eriksson in it, by Victor Moses. Sven Goran Eriksson. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Young's already joined. They will make a push uh, to conclude um, a Ricky push a deal for yeah Ricky mm. push. No, please. Um, <laughs> it's good there <laughs> to to conclude a deal for Eriksson. See if they can get that done. Right. Um, Conte was actually remarkably self-aware after this game um, in. Uh, appreciating that some of his rants after Inter have lost or dropped points earlier in the season created a sensation in the media, pleading the fifth on this when asked whether he felt that they needed to do more in the transfer market. They, of course, did sign someone only to s- return him to sender this week, Leonardo Spinazzola. Oh, yeah. They're doing the swap deal with Politano. Poor Politano, who came through the ranks at Roma, is Roman, a Roma fan, thinks he's going to get his dream move um, to Roma, passes his medical, um, but Inter decided to uh, pull the plug on Spinazzola. Um, Spinazzola then played for Roma at the weekend and actually helps, well, you could say he helped score because um, it was from his cross that an own goal went in. Um, but yeah, poor old Politano had to return to Inter. If you were an Inter fan, would you be confident that the players that they've brought in now would make the difference as far as the title push is concerned? I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks a little bit curious that they're going for experience, shall we say, uh, players when contest style is so intense and so based on... So this was one of the, the comments that he made, which I wouldn't say... This is one of the comments he made after the, the draw yesterday, that unless we play at 200 miles an hour, mm. we're an average team, which I think if you're a player for that team, I don't think that goes down particularly well. He feels that they don't have um, cover, that if they, yeah, if one or two players are out injured or suspended, um, then it's really felt... Um, but yeah, he's gone with players who he either knows, so Victor Moses, Young has played as a wing back um, and has experience. He's a captain, was a captain at United. Giroud is someone he's had. Um, I think Eriksson does make the team better um, because I think since Sensi's injury, even though Sensi's back now, they've lacked goals from midfield, and I think Eriksson can can provide that. And certainly in a game like the one we saw against Lecce, where Lecce changed system to play against Inter, put five at the back, basically everyone behind the ball. You need someone who can score from distance, challenge the goalkeeper from outside the box. I think Eriksen can do that. Conte has Inter eating out the palm of his hand because they've never been this close. It certainly hasn't felt that they've been this close. Yes, they've maybe been in title races going into December. They've almost had the chance to be winter champions as they did this year to be um, in contention, but then they've quickly faded. I think there's a real belief among Inter fans and at San Siro that this team's legit and they'll certainly give Conte everything that he needs um, or he thinks he needs to make this push. I mean, there's a realistic assessment that Juventus have a very bloated squad and a very, very talented squad. And again, that plays to Conte's narrative that this will be one hell of an achievement if we win the title this year. That bloated squad, as mentioned, four points clear Juve after they defeated Parma 2-1 with a brace from Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, who's now on 11 goals in his last seven games. He's on fire. Yeah, I mean, he's the first player for Juventus to have scored 16 in his first 20 league games of a season mm. since Sivori um, back in the 60s. Wow. Um, doesn't happen often. That you, I mean, Allegri always comes out and says that the team with the best defence wins the league. And Juventus have always had the best defence of the last eight years. They don't at the moment. And they've not had a Capocannoniere in that time. Cristiano probably won't be again this year because Immobile is breaking history, which again, just to congratulate and compliment Immobile, to, to be a top scorer in the, at the time when Cristiano Ronaldo 
at this moment particularly is playing like the Real Madrid Ronaldo mm. the 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 one that who is just a complete goal machine the second um, goal by the way fabulous the, the yeah. move uh, the interplay and Dybala's assist yeah. lovely mm. he's, he's quite something yeah alright uh, one quick mention for the other crisis club of culture Milan mm. who've turned the corner yeah unbeaten since Zlatan joined right um Three wins and a draw. It does seem like him being there has somehow kind of just given everyone a bit of a spark. Yep. Um, so that the quality of the training sessions, intensity has, has, has been lifted. Milan averaging 60,000 at San Siro since he, uh, since he came back. So they've had 60 in the two home games against Samp and this one. They had 30 in a Coppa Italia game against Spal, which is a, a big crowd. So 150,000 in the time that Zlatan has been, been there. So booming. Booming. Only two points off the Europa League places now. I know it's Only not Champions two. League, but, you know. Something. It's not nothing. Okay, after this, we're going to hear about Alan Pardew's penis. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Why Alan Pardew and Chris Bell are de gratis spokes. Can you translate that, Rafa? Is it Ghostbusters? It is Ghostbusters. Yeah. Wonderful banner held up by the Den Haag uh, supporters to herald the arrival on the Den Haag bench, the uh, Eredivisie strugglers of the aforementioned Pardew and Powell Dream Team, uh, taking over at the side that was lying penultimate in the Netherlands' first division over the winter. Having their first game this weekend, you may have seen reports, it was a triumphant start. A 2-0 victory over bottom-of-the-table Valvik which moved Den Haag up to third from bottom, opening goal from Shaquille Penis. So, not sure what the sub-editors made of that one. But they were cock-a-hoop. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific stuff. He's a stand-up guy. He's very nice. <laughs> Could he finish? <laughs> <laughs> he could, and that meant the Valvite didn't keep a clean sheet. As <laughs> anyway. And Pardew's uh, coaching. Aaron Mayers came on after the hour and scored 20 minutes later. The second there you go. Goal, so. yeah, Pardew, we, yeah, his last job obviously didn't go very well when he had one win in 18 at West Brom, but looking at his career, now, do you remember that used to be the thing? He would come in and he would do very well to begin with and then it would all fall apart. Yeah, like, New, New like Palace. Yeah, and Newcastle, Newcastle offered well. him eight years as far as I remember. That's uh, right. So they had to have seen something impressive yeah. uh, in his job. Yeah. Anyway, dropping down below Den Haag is Lee Catamol <laughs> in another struggling area of easy side, Vivive Venlo. Good weekend for Den Haag and also for Ten Haag, who's, of course, Ajax manager. They extended their lead at the top of their Eredivisie to six points over AZ Alkmaar by beating Sparta 2-1. PSV, who fired Van Bommel over Christmas, dropped to fourth. Now, I actually brought Ryan Babel back to Dutch football. Did you know that? Uh, he made quite an impression, didn't he, in the Champions League for Galatasaray with his red hair mm. and his running and things. Good. All yeah. right. That was a nice little dip into the Eredivisie. Uh, oh, France. Jules, French Cup action after this. <laughs> It's the last 32 of the Coupe de France. And Jules, you've got some teen prodigy news for us. Well, yeah, so first, no upset. No big upset uh, in France in this round. Not even Bordeaux getting beat? I guess maybe by uh, by Po uh, in the third division. Po, by the way, who will host PSG in the next round, which is interesting because their manager is Bruno Irles, the former Monaco player, and also the former Monaco youth team manager who had Kylian Mbappé with him at the academy and Ooh. didn't play him and was really yeah was really tough on him saying that he was too selfish not playing for the team enough and benched him and there was big issues between Kylian Mbappe and his dad and Bruno Yeles at the time almost to the point that Mbappe almost left Monaco and instead Monaco sacked Bruno Yeles the manager and kept Kylian Mbappe and the rest is history but it would be the first time really that they, they meet again since those very tense years a few years ago. Right, OK. A little bit more on PSG to come, but right now tell us about the extraordinary 16-year-old Ryan Cherky. 16 and uh, five months. And I don't want to brag, but remember a few weeks ago? Yeah. No. When Cherky... You do. What happened? Uh, back in October, I think. Yeah. And he made his debut at 16 and two days. 
And we said that he was starting to make a name for himself. He played in the youth league before when he was 15 and did incredibly well and finally got his chance in the first team and played a bit in the Champions League, played a little bit in the various cups as well. But that was really the first game he started and against another league outside because they played against Nantes, away right. from home as well. So this was his second senior start ever. Yeah. He scored twice, including an opening goal inside the first minute of the yes. game. And then he later set up two more goals and won a penalty. He's, so he's 16, 16. 16 and five months, and he's just an incredible talent, left-footed, born and bred at Lyon, went through the academy, and he's just, yeah, he's just... Uh, I wish he was born and bred in Paris. I wish so. He'd be even cooler if he was. But, you know, it's... That Lyon it's one, academy, though, both of them. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible, mm. really. And he, he's, he's got that left foot, and he's... The skills is incredible. The the pace on the ball, the vision. He's got really everything. And there's plenty of time, obviously, and he will need to work on a lot of things. He's not ready for starting every game and playing, you know, in the Champions League against Juventus, for example, and that kind of stuff. But at that age, showing what he's showing is so promising. Like, you know, we shouldn't compare, but Karim Benzema hadn't played in the first team at that age. Kylian Mbappe hadn't played in the first team at that age either. Mm. So... He, what, what position is he? So his favourite is on the left-hand side. He's a, he's a forward, uh-huh. was an attacking midfielder. But he played as a second striker or number 10 uh, in the Cup against Nantes. And he was really, really outstanding. And Lyon are looking for some attacking options now because Depay and, and uh, Jeff Redanella are injured. But his emergence is, is making them think, well, do we need anyone and who do we really need? Because he will be able to play... And if he's got so much time that he will be able to help that team and really mm. Garcia. So he has already changing the landscape in what Lyon were trying to do this month in terms of recruitment because he's been so good so quickly. All right. Other young players lighting it up in the uh, French Cup this uh, weekend included Lucien's uh, Josh Marger for, uh, for Bordeaux. The former Sunderland striker who's little by little under Paulo Sousa really improving in his finishing, in his movement and things. It's, it's interesting, although his team lost, which is a you know, right. which is a bad result. And Steffi Mavididi. Yeah, the former Arsenal. Rest. Yeah, who played for Arsenal and Juve. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's, who's there on loan. Again, he's an interesting player. Uh, he's young and he's so strong and he's quick and, and little by little, I think he's adapting to a, a different culture, a different country. So he's on loan from Juve, mm-hmm. yeah. former England under 20. And uh, he's not good enough to play for Juve, let's be honest. You know, I've seen him play a lot this season, but I think for, for Liga, he would certainly be good enough. And if he can keep working hard like that and improving, he, he would get to a decent level. Okay. Uh, French Cup, of course, the previous round, the big story there was Saint Pierrois. From Réunion. Yes, the Réunion Islands. Yeah, who'd travel, what was it, 11,000 miles, took on Njort and beat them yeah. in dramatic scenes that saw them become the first side from a French overseas territory to reach the last 32 of the Coupe de France in 31 years. Uh, this weekend they were in action again. Against Epinal away again because they, they have to play away. So they went back to La Réunion and right. then came back again, did the, the 10,000 mile trip again uh, to play Epinal. And this time they lost literally. They had a man sent off min- after 15 minutes. Yeah, and they went all, all the way to extra time. And in, in I think the 118th minute, they considered a goal. <sighs> yeah, you would have loved them to go to penalties and then maybe put another incredible upset. But it's, it's a lovely story. That's a tough for example, journey home for their supporters. Dimitri Payet played there. Florence Inamapongol played there as well. Yeah. They started their career there before Papin moving to France. finished their careers there. Yeah, 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 for different reasons then. Because you know. it's a really nice place to <laughs> yeah, live. Yeah, it's an amazing place, yeah. yeah. Have you been to Réunion? We went there before the, not that I brought a slug, but before the 2010 World Cup. Uh-huh. France had a friendly game there, so oh. we, we travelled there with the national team. Saint-Pierre was certainly caught the imagination of uh, a lot of listeners. 94th minute writes in saying, with them being knocked out of the Coupe de France, what do the panel regard as the best achievement from an island club in their respective nations? Boy, Rafi, you're going to struggle with this one. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got, Alvaro? Can I go? Mallorca. Yeah, nice. Yeah, Mallorca. Doing what? Won the Spanish Cup, I believe, with Samoleto. Okay. And then they reached. Ah, nice. Yeah, and then they reached the Who's Cup that? Winner Cup Who was against their manager? Lazio. Who was their manager? Uh, in the Cup Winner Cup, it was Hector Cooper. Mm. No <laughs> question what the greatest achievement by an island team in, in Italy was. It's got to be Gigi Rivas Cagliari. Damn. Winning the Where can Scudetto. I hear more about that, James? There's a, uh, there's a podcast called Golazzo. There's a podcast for that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, PSG, uh, who you mentioned will be taking on uh, Poe, yep. uh, they scraped through against Lorient with Icardi blanking against the game in a row. Yeah, Cavani is asked to leave. Yes, and for the first time... So Fergus Lynch says, is Cavani going to leave? And where would he go? Spurs and United would be a good destination, says Fergus Lynch. Yeah, for the first time they opened the door to it. They told him that he was not for sale, that he would not go before because I think if Icardi gets injured, unfortunately, or something like that, Cavani is definitely the backup. If he goes, either they would have to recruit someone or put Kylian Mbappé more centrally, which he can do, I guess. But uh, the idea was him him not to go. But he's been pushing so much for a move and the first Atletico Madrid offer was 10 million euros, which PSG thought was not enough. Now that they've opened the door, I think it's a clear message to Atletico. Listen, if you give us more money, uh, we will let him go. So I, I would expect this one to go through. Uh, and PSG probably not replacing him and keeping that money. Keeping that money. He's there, man. I mean, he's been burglar twice, but he's still otherwise... Uh, Leo should just take team. Piontek like he did last January. Just leave us alone with your Piontek. No one wants him. You know? They're trying to sell him to the whole world. Take Piontek. No one wants him. But it's... He, would, he wants to go to Atletico. He doesn't want to go to England. He's 32. A, a move to England would make no sense for him at this stage of his career. And the money, I think Atletico would be very good as well. He would really? play. Diego Simone has told him he would play. Okay. There's another one as well about oh. Boubacari Soumare from Lille, the, the, the very, very promising midfielder who okay. was linked to a lot of clubs in the UK. I saw on a certain television channel uh, in England as well that he was very close to Chelsea and Manchester United. He wasn't, and he has actually said that he was not going to leave this month. Okay, anyway, that so name again, Jules? Boubacari Soumare. There you go. So Chelsea fans and United fans, you'll have to wait a little bit more uh, for your club maybe to go and get him. Bingo. And and finally, uh, there's non-Bordeaux next Sunday in Ligue 1 and obviously a year ago, Emiliano Sala tragically died oh, wow, and yeah. uh, passed away and then there will be a, a tribute because he played for both clubs as well. There will be a tribute where the Nantes uh, fans and the, the staff people at the club and the players as well who would wear a special shirt and all the money getting from that, from the shirt sales will go to the club that Emiliano played for in Argentina when he was a kid before moving to France and to Bordeaux. So it will be quite an emotional afternoon, I think, in Nantes, a year after the, he passed away. Okay. Uh, we're going to be looking at some of your Twitter questions and, hey, a bit of Turkish second division in a moment or two. First of all, though, Paddy Power. Arriva Dirty listeners, Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power with the Euro Odds. Lee, let's start with the Bundesliga. Erling Haaland scored three, not a hat trick, on his debut for Dortmund. Uh, how many goals will he have scored come the end of the season? <laughs> it was some debut, wasn't it? The thing is, I'm going to be disappointed now he ever doesn't score in a game, although that does seem unlikely, admittedly. And we make it odds on that he scores more than 14 league goals this season. Pardon the uh, emphasis there, but that's quite incredible. Although it is 16-1 he finished the season as Dortmund's top scorer, so we're not getting that overexcited. It's also almost twice as likely, at 8-1, that he's playing in the English Premier League next season. Juicy. All right, over to Spain and La Liga, where Atletico stumbled once more. Might they not make the top four this season? Yeah, they are stumbling, but we don't think they're going to fall entirely. They will regather their balance, we expect. It's 7-2 they finish outside the top four, so quite a short price. But it's massively odds-on they do make the top four at 1-7. to seven. Sevilla are level on points of Atletico and are 1-3 to, to finish in the top four. Getafe in fifth are 6-1 to one to qualify for the Champions League, but it does make them rank outsiders. And finally to Serie A, where Lazio are in sensational form, but it's the Rome derby on Sunday. Is that where it all comes to a crashing halt? Right, I don't know if there's been a glitch in my system or not, but I'm just going to read these odds out and see if your reaction is the same as mine when you hear them. Roma are 6-4 to four to win this game. The draw's 5-2. to two, And Lazio are... Um, 6-4. to four. We've sat on the fence in the past, but this is the ultimate not being able to call it, despite Lazio's 11 wins in a row. Are there some clues in the recent history between the two teams? When they played in September, the score was one all, and it's 6-1 to one that happens again. Or the same fixture last season ended up 3-1 to the home team, Roma. It's 14-1 to one that that happens again. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Before we stop, listener, got loads of your fruity questions uh, to pick through. And uh, Jules, also a bit of that uh, Turkish second division news. Yeah, incredible game in the second division between um, Ushakspor and Egen Velimeshe. So in the second division, 
happened on Sunday. No, no, listen to this, listen to this. There's a penalty at the end of the game for, for the visitors. Oh, yeah, which one was that? Agene uh, Valley Messe. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Sorry. Where are they from? <laughs> from the south of the country. Okay. Uh, and, you know, made that <laughs> a short trip to Hushak uh, Sport. And it's a penalty. The keeper, Ersin Aydin, saves it, but right. comes off his line. So the referee says, you're not allowed to do that. It's a yellow card for you, and you Ooh. take the penalty again. Right. Second penalty, the keeper saves it again, but comes off his line again. So it's a second no yellow. Way. So he sends him off. For- sends him off. And there's a third penalty Harsh. being taken for... Uh, so who goes in goal now? The defender. And guess what? The defender saved the penalty as well. So Does he miss- get sent off? No, no. He didn't even get yellow. But they were celebrating at the end of the game. That's extraordinary. So three pens. Right. A, play- a keeper sent off for coming off his line twice. Right. Despite saving the pen. Who was it? Was it the same player taking the spot kick each time? I would time? think so. I haven't done that much research on it, but yeah. It was. I'm getting confirmation from producer Charlie. It was the same player. Fatty Dillac was the player. Yeah, and he would never take a pen ever Fatty again. Fatty Pillock, more like. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that was uncalled for. <laughs> what was the... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, right. Okay. So they were 2 nil down anyway, so yeah. even the goal wouldn't have, wouldn't have changed anything. Oh, right, you left still. that detail out. Well, yeah, because it was funny anyway. Okay. Yeah. What so... were the teams again? Uh... <laughs> Can I just make it clear that, that we're chuckling about our own inability to pronounce yes, perfectly course, good names properly, no, no not any kind no, of cultural. No, no. Good. Let's get on to some questions from listeners. Questions like Galois in France, who says, what has been the real impact of Aaron Ramsey at Juventus? James, what has it been? Well, he uh, was injured when he arrived. Let's mm-hmm. not forget that because of uh, it was a bad injury that he picked up in that Arsenal-Napoli game in the Europa League. Um, that meant he missed a lot of pre-season. Um, he did kind of score on his debut. I think the goal was given to him and tended to start more in the Champions League um, than in the league. Um, I think Sarri was experimenting with a few different systems to start with. It does seem that um, Juventus have settled on this 4-4-2 diamond with Ramsey playing at the tip. Certainly since the end of the winter break, uh, he's been starting regularly for them. Um, but there is a feeling, as generally I think still with uh, this this Sarri Juventus, that aside from the guys up top, uh, Ronaldo, Dybala and Higuain, there's maybe more to come uh, from certainly the other elements in that midfield because Matuidi's very good, but Matuidi's very good because he essentially allows Ronaldo to do whatever he wants because he does all the work that Ronaldo should do without the ball, um, particularly when they're defending. So I think there's still more to come uh, from, from Ramsey. He has had some injuries before the debut d'Italia he picked up one I think the only time he's actually played 90 minutes this season has been a full 90 has been for Wales um, so I'm expecting big things second half of the season they certainly need goals from midfield um, uh, and we all know from his time at Arsenal that he can supply them certainly can Billy Innes says what next for Union Nagelsmann when Leipzig win the Bundesliga what's the plan Raf? Well, first they want to win it. Then I think they want to target the Champions League. I mean, it mm-hmm. might sound a little bit ambitious uh, for a team that's only been in existence for 10 years. But I think that is actually the the bigger plan, certainly as, as far as he's concerned. He wants to establish Leipzig as a, as a real power in European football. It's going to be difficult, but they're giving it a good go this season. I think they, they have a good chance of getting into the last eight, as we talked about earlier. And I don't think having talk to his agent who's also looking after David Wagner and Jurgen Klopp that Nagelsmann sees this as a short-term project and a stepping stone to immediately move on he's not that kind of guy so uh, whatever happens this year whether they win or not he's definitely sticking around for at least another year or so okay Robbie meantime tables this question with the discussion about how all Watford needed was a good English manager do other countries have this focus on only having managers from that nation? Jules, is there a big a premium a on being French in French management? There is a bit of that, yeah. yeah. There is a bit, and there's a few of them that come back in a crisis situation like Antoine Comboire. Not that mm. it turned out well this season with Toulouse because it was dreadful. But yeah, there's a, there's a bit of that as well. Okay. Because they know the league and the language and all of that is supposedly easier, I guess. In Spain, we have that as well. Uh-huh. And there are some managers who always return to the same club. But because they're Spanish? Because they're Spanish, because they know the house. And uh, they 
they speak the language and they know the players and probably the board as well. Okay. Joaquin Caparros, the Sevilla uh, man, I mean, right. he came back so many times. And uh, in Deportivo de la Coruña now, they've got a manager who managed them in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, and he's back now, Fernando Vázquez. So there are some names that... Uh, repeat themselves uh, over the decades as mm. well as soon as a club has a, an abysmal crisis. Like Fatty to Rim at Galatasaray. Eh? I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got a few in Italy, to be fair. Well, well, yeah, right? I was going to say, though, in Italy, my impression is that there isn't, that they're quite like a foreign manager, don't they? You don't get who go, yeah, we need an Italian for an Italian football team. They like it uh, until they are Italianized, which is inevitable at some stage. They adapt to their new surroundings, but... There's only one foreign manager in the league at the moment. That's Paolo Fonseca. Oh, yeah. Um, he's certainly done very well. I think there's always... There's certainly with certain clubs like Milan, you know, aside from... Which foreign manager do you think has got most Italianized in Italy? Oh, actually, there is... That's the thing, because I've considered him Italian. Right. Sinisa's definitely. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I would say. Um, that's a great show. He's very Italian. Simeone, Sven as well. Simeone learned so yeah. much in Italy. I mean, too much. Do you know one manager, one foreign manager who never got Italian? Zdenek Zem. Well, that's true. Uh, mm. yeah. But I, I consider him to be Italian as well. Well, I, yeah, he, he is. He never plays an Italian style of football, though. No? So that's why. Well, it's, he was very, very attacking. You know, attacking minded. No, it's a style of football played by Italian clubs. Managed by Zdenek Zeman. So, <laughs> yeah. I think there's, te- there's always tended to be a cultural resistance in Italy yeah. to the foreign manager. What do you think? Yeah, in that you have to prove yourself because okay. we have Coviciano, right. we have our um, specific kind of didactic way of teaching um, coaches. Mourinho, when he got the Inter job, it's like, okay, well, show us why you've got this reputation. Right. And there's, there, I wouldn't say there's people throw spanner in the works, but I think to overcome that is actually pretty difficult and again just it burnishes the achievements that they get once you know if they if they are successful fair enough italy has its Coverciano. bundesliga has its uh, Borussia dortmund reserves <laughs> yeah indeed but i mean the premium isn't so much on germans but on german speakers okay um historically there's been quite a few successful foreign managers in the bundesliga but they tend to come from countries where they either speak German or find it easy to pick up the language, you know, whether they're Hungarians or, or Czech or or Dutch. Uh, it's from those areas uh, that the Bundesliga likes to recruit the managers. And the limiting factor is, is very much the language is one of the reasons why we haven't really seen any Latin managers succeed apart from Giovanni Trapattoni in, in stages. Pep being the big exception that he is in so many levels, of course, uh, was an exception in that one, but not non-experiment, if you will, that has been replicated across across the league. I think the one, uh, you know, big name manager that really did not work out, for example, was Nevio Scala, who was mm. complete disaster at Borussia Dortmund. So, yeah, the the, the language is 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 the problem here. But I think that in every league, there is this pattern of a foreign man who gets to a club and he gets to understand the idiosyncrasy of the club better than Steve the McLaren. locals themselves. Mm. I don't know if it's Steve McLaren, but Zanetti at Inter, <laughs> he's not a manager, but Zanetti. Right. He's yeah. Paolo Futre at Atletico de Madrid or Marcelo Bielsa at Athletic de Bilbao. Uh-huh. Eh, sometimes they understand better the tradition of the club than the locals themselves. And I think that there, there are examples like this in every league. Again, in the UK, probably we, ha- we can find well, one as well. In, in Rome, I mean, it's always seen as an advantage to be an outsider, you know, so, uh, un- until you're no longer an outsider. Nemo profito in patria. Yeah. Or however you pronounce that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You're not conditioned or influenced by the environment. The cauldron. Yeah. Johan yeah. Cruyff is a perfect example of that. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's he great. He understood Barcelona better yeah. than anyone else before. Brilliant. Well, thanks for all those questions. Some uh, fascinating themes there. And uh, we'll be back with another edition of the European Totally Football Show next week. Of course, as we mentioned, Galata returns on Wednesday with uh, the Francesco Totti special part one. And then there's another Totally Football Show on Thursday. And hope you'll be joining us for that. For now, Alvaro, Rafa, James and Julian, many, many thanks. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.